What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Zoom Bowen. Zoom Bowen. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm bringing the nickname thing back. Remember how uh, years ago, Scott, we had this thing where listeners would write in and give us different nicknames like uh, Oil Can. Yeah, you know what? We had somebody that uh, that wrote in recently. Was it Rudy, maybe? I think it was maybe Rudy Smith who wrote in and said that they would he would like to see the uh, the old name uh, nicknames come back. Oh yeah, okay. maybe we should do that. And I think he even mentioned a couple. So I'll tell you what, we'll dig into it, and maybe in a couple of episodes from now we'll start doing that again. How about that? You got it, All Scott right. Oil Can Benjamin. And maybe <laughs> listeners can write in with email suggestions. They can, you know, when they email in with uh, uh-huh. with ideas or whatever. Sure, they can include their own middle name nickname if they want. How about that? We would love that. That's a great idea. And suggestions for us because we run out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've used so many. All right, so today, Ben, we're talking about the 10 fastest cars in the world, and this is always an intriguing list. Yeah, and usually it's always going to be a contentious one, because as we will find, uh, one man's fastest car is another man's second or third fastest, depending upon the rules of the measurement. Yeah, there's some criteria that we're going to have these cars meet here. Now, it's based on an article that... Uh, we had written here at How Stuff Works by Sharice uh, uh, Lapine. Yeah, right? freelance writer. Her name is Sharice, and um, great job on the article. It's really it's fascinating, uh, you know, information, all good and all up to date, which is the most important thing on a top ten list like this. Okay. No so this is a current top ten list of the flat out fastest cars in the world. Now it's not the quickest zero to sixty list. It's not the you know fastest to one hundred or the the best time on the Nurburgring or anything like that. This is just flat out top speed. Fastest cars around certified, confirmed top speed, not claimed, you know, manufacturer top speed. Right. Because that would vary quite a bit. You know, they'd say, like, well, it's capable of 275, but uh, sure. we only got it up to 198, whatever that is, you know, something like that. So we've got this list that uh, um, she created that, and it's got two two bits of criteria here. And the first is that it's only street legal production production cars. Right. So no one-off mad science experiments. Yeah, exactly right. So any modifieds, you know, the the, uh, the Toyota Supra that they boosted up to 1,500 horsepower, that doesn't count. You know, it's these are from the manufacturer, the way the manufacturer built them. So it levels the playing field in that all the cars are designed and built to be driven on the street. 
and theoretically, anybody can buy one. Ah, and this brings us to the second qualification, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, in case of a tie, the same stop, top speed, right? The quicker one, and that's the one with the fastest zero to 60 acceleration, it qualifies as the fastest one. Exactly, because there just had to be some way to break the tie in a top 10 list. You can't have two two at the same. So uh, that was a kind of a neat way to go around that, I think. That was a, a good little bit of problem solving there. Um, now, of course, you know, we could do another list, I guess, for the quickest car if you wanted to. Right, but, yeah. Uh, but that's not, what this, zero to 60. that's not what this is about. That was just simply to uh, to serve to break the tie. Yeah. And uh, and that's it. You want to jump into this list and, and uh, see where it takes us? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Well, there's a couple of uh, difficult pronunciations here, <laughs> and I have done my best to phonetically spell these out, and, uh, and I'll see what I can do, okay? All right. All right. So number 10 on the list is one that is maybe the most difficult on the list. <laughs> it is the Pagani Huayra. 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 Pagani. You're right. Uh, Huayra. That's right. You're yeah. Right. The You're right. Pagani Huayra uh, comes to us from Italy. And, of course, as we know, Italy has a long and dignified tradition of making fantastic exotic cars. Exactly right. Now, to start at number 10, I want to point this out. We're starting this list at 230 miles per hour. So this is a, uh, this is a fast, fast top 10 list. 230 just gets you into the, the number 10 spot. Yeah. On this list. That just buys you the cheap sh- seats in this list. <laughs> and, uh, uh, for everybody else using the metric system, that's just a hair over 370. Exactly right. So this is, uh, this is a car that you mentioned comes from Italy. Uh, I think there was a, a car from the same company uh, called the Zonda for a long time. Yep. A car that they You're kept right. around for about a decade. And mm-hmm. uh, then they moved up to the, uh, how do you say it again? Huayra. 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 And uh, the Huayra is uh, exceedingly quick. I mean, it's uh, fast, I should say. It's powered by a twin-turbo, six-liter V12 engine. It comes from Mercedes-Benz. So it's, uh-huh. a, it's a powerful, powerful engine. And there's one other little interesting note that I think we should mention. That's about the founder, right? Uh, yeah, the founder is an Argentinian and an Argentine named Horacio Pagani, uh, and he formerly was the composite material manager or engineer for Lamborghini. Oh, kind of makes sense. This guy's been around supercars and he knows what he's doing. Right. He obviously learned the trade or the craft at, at Lamborghini. And, uh, you know, or maybe he came in with experience. I'm not sure. I don't know how the, uh, how the, the timetable worked on that, but, um, he clearly, I mean, take a look at that car, man. That's a gorgeous yeah. car. That's uh, is definitely, I mean, he learned something there, that's for sure. Yeah, and that carbon fiber, of course, as we know, plays a great role in the speed of this vehicle. Oh, absolutely. As we talk about all these, you got to remember that, uh, that, that composites are used throughout. There's lightweight metals. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, we call it space-age technology, I guess. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the lightweight materials that are used. And, and even though we're talking about cars that, you know, it, and sometimes they'll exceed 1,000 horsepower, and we'll tell you when they do. Yeah. But, um, you know, lightweight plays a huge role in this, in this top speed, um, I, this overall list, really. And let's go to number nine on our list, the Zenvo ST1, mm-hmm. uh, coming in at number nine with 233 miles per hour, or 375 kilometers. Yeah, and this is one uh, that I just mentioned goes over 1,000 horsepower. This one has 1,250 horsepower. Um, it has a seven liter V8 engine. 
And um, what's this one's from Denmark, Ben. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I like the way that Sharice wrote this. What's the most powerful toy to come out of Denmark in recent memory? If you guessed Lego bricks, you're not even close. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so Lego comes from Denmark. So does the Zenvo ST1. And the ST1, did we already say this, 233 miles per hour? Yeah, yeah, we said that, but we didn't mention that it has a, uh, it has one of those little, uh, homologation kind of qualifications here because it's a, the production run, Scott, Mm -hmm. 15 cars. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. And just three of those cars ever came to the United States here for us. Uh, so 12 of them are living somewhere else in the world, but 15 cars. Now there's, there's going to be some weirdness about this, this number of vehicles produced thing because, uh, in order to be included in the Guinness, I'm going to flip back to my notes to, to to page one here, Ben, where I wrote a note about this because, uh, Guinness, uh, in order to qualify for the Guinness Book of World Records, supposedly you have to have 30 examples built of each vehicle. So that's what they call a production vehicle. Now right. there's, I guess, some you know some contention to that rule and people saying, well, we're only going to build uh, 20 of these, but it's still a production car because we're not building them, you know, just for individual customers. We're not saying like here's one car that we're going to build for you that's unlike any other car. Right. They're, they're all going to be relatively the same, same power plant, same. Outward appearance. They may have a couple features here and well, there. Cosmetic different. differences. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, what's the difference, I guess, if we build 20 or if we build 30? Um, that's what Guinness says. Is Guinness says it's 30. All right, you know, this list that we're going to follow here, it, it doesn't necessarily follow the 30 car production limit requirement. But also we find that Guinness kind of backtracks on their rule as well. So Guinness uh. will make exceptions to the rule. As we go along, we'll find that happened a few times. And uh, it's just this weird kind of back and forth between the manufacturer, Guinness, and any other, you know, record-qualifying sanctioning body, I guess, that says you have to meet these criteria. And and we'll find that this list uh, kind of varies from that as well, you know, that we, we include some cars that are less than 30 produced. Maybe yeah. maybe that's a future podcast. Who knows? You know, the yeah. automobile, how they how they uh, create these automobile records, like what the process is for, for deciding who's the fastest, you know, who's the, the longest limousine, whatever. You right. Know, we thing. ran because we run into some contentious arguments anytime we look at something like that. Yeah. Anytime know. we try to say it's the fastest, shortest, smallest, mm-hmm. tallest, quickest. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. So, you know, one thing that, uh, that, that we can't overlook on this one, though, when we're still talking about the Zenvo, mm-hmm. is that it's very exclusive, right? I mean, uh, we mentioned yeah. you know, the limited production numbers, but... We didn't talk about the price. Yeah, uh, Denmark is not a country known for its rock-bottom auto prices, and the Zenvo is no exception. It's weighing in at the base price of 1.8 million U.S. dollars. Holy cow! That's uh, that's up there with uh, Bugatti as far as right, price goes. Right. So huge, huge money, and uh, as you can imagine, parts are expensive as well. Because you know, how do you get parts for a car where they only made 15 copies of this thing ever? Oh well, uh, you ship it back to the United States for any extensive repair. For I mean, De- De- Denmark from the United States to Denmark. Holy cow! That's got to be uh, that, that alone. I mean, that's got to be a ten thousand dollar tab there just for that. If yeah, if that low a spot on a spot on a cargo plane or something. All right, so let's move on to number eight. Yeah, number eight. This one is uh, surprising that it still is at number eight. Our old friend, the McLaren F1. Yeah, McLaren F1 at two hundred and forty miles per hour. Now I cannot believe that this car is still on this list. I mean, it's I knew it was fast. Now this is from British automaker McLaren. They were built between nineteen ninety four and nineteen ninety eight. So that means that. You know, at oldest, they're 20 years old. Right. At the youngest, the youngest any of these F1s could be is 16 years old at this point. 
and it's still hanging in there at number eight with all the rest of these vehicles. Well, it's a work of art, really. Uh, it's got that um, BMW Source 6.1 liter V12 engine, uh, 240 miles an hour, 386 clicks per hour. Uh, also, I think it's one of the only three-seater cars on this list. Oh, yeah, which is uh, the only – because of that unique cockpit. And that strange uh, cockpit design as well with the, yeah. the center seating position for the driver. And that's I think that's one of the standout features on this thing. It makes sense to me. Does I mean, it make sense to you? It, it really does. The driver make, in the middle of the car? It makes perfect sense. That's why a lot of race cars do that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the thing is, like, we just don't see that in production cars, and it makes it so unique and so cool – that, uh, that, I don't know, I think people really just fall in love with this car when they see it in person. And, uh, you know, the McLaren F1, for it to hang in there for at least, at least 16 years in the top yeah. 10 list, that's amazing. Plus, we, uh, we should point out we have an entire McLaren podcast if you'd like to learn more about these amazing vehicles and the guy responsible for yeah, them. Yeah, Bruce McLaren, mm-hmm. and we also talked about the, uh, the, the recent, the, the, um, the hybrid, right? Oh, yeah, we did, yeah. The P1. Uh huh. So we've got a couple of different McLaren podcasts if you want to look at those. Uh, let's move on to number seven. The Saline S7 Twin Turbo comes in at 248 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And it's a California car. Yeah, so it's another American car making the list. Now, this is from uh, tuner Steve Saline, who was a Mustang tuner prior to uh, being a supercar builder. He just kind of got into the supercar game. Uh, just, I, I don't know how to say it. I mean, I guess he was around cars, around fast cars, decided he wanted to try his hand at it. And then uh, I think, you know, the, the idea here maybe is that he had the idea, you know, somewhere down the road, I'm going to take on some of the big guys. I'm going to take right. on the fastest in the world. And, uh, and that's when he decided to uh, to go with the twin turbo setup. Yeah, yeah. And it's a 7-liter V8 Ford power plant. Um, yeah, because the initial car wasn't tur- well, it wasn't twin turbo. Right, yeah. It was strictly the 7-liter V8. Yeah. And, uh, and they said that it was somewhere along the lines of, like, what they used in the NASCAR. Cars, right, yeah. Which is incredible. I mean, you know, something like that. You know, we're talking... You know, ballpark, you know, that's funny because I, w- I would think that a NASCAR engine, maybe not back then though, um, would be around 800 horse, 800 horsepower. Right. Right now with twin turbos, it's at about 750 horsepower. Uh, I would assume that that's got to be something with, um, emissions and, you know, all sure. the, uh, the federal regu- regulations and things like that that have been set up. Um, you know, Ben, I've seen one of these on the road. One. What? Where? Here? Just, just one. That's it. And I, I think it was around 2003 when the initial S7 was around. So I doubt I saw a twin turbo. I think I saw the original one, like, or mm-hmm. the original launch of these things. Um, it was during the Woodward Dream Cruise in Detroit, in mm-hmm. Michigan. And I saw it on a back street in Birmingham, Michigan. I was driving, I think it was on a weekend and I was driving into work or something like that. And mm-hmm. it was on a back road and, uh, it just, you know, it was going one way. I was going the other way. So I only saw it for a second, but, um, it's a standout car. Like you remember, I mean, that was, that was a good 11 years ago. And I remember the day that I saw it very clearly because it was just that unusual to see one. It's got a unique profile for yeah, sure. Yeah. It was kind of that orange, that burnt orange color. It was a beautiful car. Really, uh-huh. really cool. Striking. Um, all right. So number six. All right. Here's another difficult one to pronounce, but I'm going to give it a shot. All right. We've talked about this one on the podcast before. Koenigsegg. Koenigsegg. I think I got it. Yeah, you did pretty All good. Right. The Koenig- Koenigsegg CCR. Yeah, that's right. 250 miles per hour. So we're breaking into 250 miles per hour now. Not bad. Yeah, pretty good. And we're still at number six. Um, again, it's a Swedish car and it has an aluminum V8 with 806 horsepower. Now, that is a lot less horsepower than some of them we've already talked about that are right. higher up on the list. Yeah. The difference is the weight. 
Yeah, ah, yeah, that makes sense because this is – oh, also there's another one where Guinness must have waived its requirement for those 30 cars. Oh, definitely, yeah, because uh, there were very few built, right? Right, yeah. Uh, for a while, uh, the Koenigsegg, uh, the CCR at least, held the top slot for speed. Yeah, and there were only 14 of these things, Ben. Yeah. 14, and uh, and the thing, you know, with the CCR and the CCX, you'll see these on a couple of different top 10 lists, as the uh, as the writer points out here, as Sharice points out, that uh, they seem to, to talk about them as if they're interchangeable, but they're not. No, the, the CCX is, uh, is made specifically for the U.S., right? Yeah, the CCR is for Europe only, right? Europe consumption only. Right, European yeah. consumption right. only. And uh, the CCX, as you said, is for... Uh, North America. Right. And there are only 14 of those as well over five years. So yeah. if you have seen one of these, um, you know, congratulations, you're probably never going to see one again. That is another ultra rare car. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, boy, it's an ex- exclusive club, isn't it, Ben, to be in yeah. these, uh, these top speed clubs, I guess. You know what else is an exclusive club, Scott? What's that? I've got to, I got to tell you about this. Netflix Instant has just blown my mind recently Mm -hmm. they've been coming out with all kinds of new stuff all sorts of foreign films and i feel like i'm a member of an exclusive club i've also run into something rare for both of us which is free time having free time where i can just sit down and and just chill out for a little bit is a bit like seeing a koenigsegg ccr what what is this free time that you talk about ben well in my case, what I'd really like it to be is time for me to kick up my feet and watch something on Netflix, but I have just enough time to watch something, Scott. I don't have enough time to go through the thousands of choices they have, so I'm coming to you. Do you have a recommendation? I will narrow it down for you. How about this one? There's one from 1986 that I think is worth watching strictly for the cars involved in this thing. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's called Black Moon Rising. Ooh. And again, 1986. It's rated R, so again, not for everybody. That seems to be the way a lot of these are. Yeah. Um, All the good movies are rated R. I know. We, know we need to go back to the old rating system where PG was a little more, you know, uh, wishy-washy. On oh, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> Anyways, all right, so we digress. Uh, summary of this one real quick. Sam yeah. Quint, who's played by Tommy Lee Jones. You know Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, the huge Fugitive, fan. Men huge in Black, yeah. No Country for Old Men. Yep. He is a much younger looking Tommy Lee Jones, obviously, in this movie, but he plays, um, an expert burglar hired by the FBI to steal a top, or to steal top secret data from a suspect company. And, um, he, fo- he follows through on his, on his latest assignment, but he leaves the data behind in an experimental supercar known as Black Moon Rising. And I'm going to show you a photo of Black Moon Rising in just a moment, Ben. Cool. Um, when the vehicle is subsequently stolen, of course it's stolen, uh, Quint's life depends on getting it back. So this is a, a, a dire need for him to get this vehicle back. Now, it has also has Linda Hamilton. Uh, she played Sarah Connor in the Terminator movies. Do you remember her? Uh-huh. And this yeah. was right, I think the Terminator movies were in 84, so this is just after that. So this, she's a big-time star. Right, she's A-list. Yeah, yeah sure. exactly, in this movie. And uh, it, she's, she co-stars as a car thief. And then Robert Vaughn, who was in the Superman movies, um, I think Superman 3, Delta Force, The Man from Uncle, you may recognize wow, him from that yeah, series yeah. on television. He plays her boyfriend, and he is also the head of, and this is key, Ben, he's the head of a stolen auto ring. Now, the, the cool thing about this whole thing is he's head of the stolen auto ring, and she's a car thief. They have this warehouse where they bring in these cars that they've stolen. Oh, And I there see. is a huge list of cars that, uh, that that are in this vehicle in this uh this movie rather and i mean i'll just lift you a few of them but yeah. the, the real star of the show i'll get to in just a second uh there's an auburn speedster replica there's a 1950 bentley mark 5 there's a 1972 oh. ferrari dino 246 which is really cool uh 71 pantera um a 74 dodge power wagon a, a 69 jaguar xke uh, you know, like a 67 Lincoln and a, a 83 Maserati. It's just a, this, wow. this wide, wide sampling of cars. So wait, 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 wait. I just want to point out a plot hole here. Okay. Uh, it's not really a stolen auto ring unless you're also flipping the cars. These are car hoarders. To me, it looks like <laughs> he is maybe, there may be a little bit of chop shop involved. Okay. But, you know, there's just always activity going on in the uh, in the garage. So you always see people... You know, going to and fro with parts and, and working okay. on cars and removing wheels and things like that and shifting. Private collectors. Yeah, exactly. Shifting these things around. So scratching. But the, the real star of this thing, Ben, the real reason to watch this movie, and I'm going to show you a picture of this. This is the 1977 Concordia 2. See it there at the bottom? <gasps> what? I remember the Concordia. And that is a true concept vehicle. Yeah. So, so yeah. if you, if you want to do yourself a favor, you know, early on and, and take a look at, uh, you know, photos of the Concordia, um, it's an actual concept car from, I want to say that it was, well, it says it's the 1977 Concordia, but I, I've seen it listed as 1984 Beaujardin Concordia 2, which Ooh. I don't, this is kind of confusing on the years, but, um, again, it's a real concept car, real prototype, and it's so unusual. It's so angular, so futuristic looking. Yeah. Yeah. And they show it in action in the movie, so it's, it's something that I think is worth looking so it's into. It's drivable. Yeah. 
Uh, well, what is it in the movie? No, no spoilers. Don't tell me. And don't tell the audience either, because we do have something else to tell you guys. Uh, we have good news. If you do not yet have exclusive membership into the virtual country club known as Netflix Instant, well, you can get in just from knowing us. That's right. Go to netflix.com forward slash car stuff. Tell them Scott and Ben sent you and you can watch Netflix for free. For a month. Yeah, full 30-day trial membership uh, just because you know us. And, you know, if you don't want to get Black Moon Rising, that's fine. But it's it's one that's available right now because, you know, the, the titles are subject to yeah. availability. But mm-hmm. we know that Black Moon Rising is there. It's got these really cool cars in it, plus the 1977 Concordia 2, which mm-hmm. is uh, is a standout in this movie. Which so is going to make me watch it. I'm not going to say anything about the acting because it is 1986. And <laughs> you you kind of know how that goes. A little cheesy, but... Um, I don't know. This is worth it to see that car in action. Right. Yeah. And along with that, you can check out other documentaries, other television shows like Top Gear, other films as well. I mean, The Avengers is on there for Pete's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let us know uh, what you think and check out the opportunity before it uh, zooms by you. Uh, speaking of zooming by you, <laughs> right? What yeah. a transition. Oh point. boy, yeah, that's yeah, a rough one. Smooth, very smooth. Any very segue smooth. we can stumble away from. I think that's okay. We'll uh, we'll go with that one. <laughs> um, so the next one on our list here, I think we were at number five, right? Yes, sir. All right, the number five, and this one is one that I had never heard of, but man, do I love the photo of this car in the article. Yeah, well, I'm I'm kind of uh, nostalgic for the paint job. You I know what I, I mean? am too. It's a golf paint job. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's beautiful, and but it's a uh, it's a great big fat. Porsche, and that's what it looks like. It's like a, <laughs> it's it's low and wide, and it's beautiful. It's a it's the nine FF GT nine R, and this one Ben tops in at two hundred and fifty seven miles per hour, mm-hmm. and it's a street car. This is a car you could drive on the road if you wanted to. Incredible. Yeah. So um, the thing is that this was just limited to twenty vehicles in production uh, from Porsche Tuner nine FF. That's a that's a company that was the name of their company. Pretty nine, well known too. Nine FF. Unfortunately. The company filed for bankruptcy in 2013, so I doubt that any other, you know, 9FF tuner vehicles will be out there after this one. But right, yeah. If uh, you if you look at this car, um, you're going. What you're going to notice is that it's a bit of a mutated Porsche 911, mm-hmm, right? That's exactly right, and it's uh, it's got strong engine, but it, it doesn't sound like a lot. Ben, it's a four liter six cylinder boxer engine. That pushes the horsepower all the way up into four figure range. So right. a six cylinder engine, Ben, that, that has over a thousand horsepower. It, in fact, it has one thousand one hundred and twenty horsepower. And, uh, holy cow. I mean, how did they, how did they get that much power out of a, a four liter six cylinder engine? I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's that's... a beautiful car. I mean, really nice. It really is. I like it a lot. This is uh, this is maybe one of my favorite looking vehicles on the on the whole list. You know what, Scott? I would agree with this too. And it's it's sad that uh, they're going to be so rare unless somebody mm-hmm. takes up the mantle of nine FF. Uh, but one thing that we should also note is that since it could go, let's see, in my if we're converting the miles, it's a little over <clears throat> four hundred kilometers per hour. So it's sure. Like, 413 and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, this makes this this GT9R one of the first street legal race cars to cross that 400K mark. Really? All right. So this oh. is a uh, kind of a specialty in that sense as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to number four, which, uh, by the way, this is a tie uh, with number five. Remember that rule you mentioned before? Yep. yep. The uh, zero to 60 rule? 
Yeah. Uh, this is what gives the SSC Ultimate Aero the edge because it also comes in at 257 miles per hour, exactly the same as the uh, as the 9FF GT9R. Uh-huh. And uh, the Ultimate Aero, if you remember, they held the world's fastest car title for quite some time. I think quite it was right around 2007, right? Mm-hmm. They had the lim- the uh, the actual um, you know top speed run that was recorded somewhere in I want to say in Washington, right? Washington State. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was recorded in Washington State, but they also did a uh, they also did a race in uh, on down ninety three in Nevada. Yeah, these are public roads. It was yeah. it was doing the the testing on public roads. They're long, flat, straight public roads. And Guinness um, verified the run in Washington. Exactly right. I mean, they had it all blocked off. It was all sanctioned event and everything. It was uh, it was you know safe supposedly to do it for everybody except <laughs> for the driver and right. anybody within a mile, I guess, where this thing would you know careen off the road. But you can watch the uh, you can watch the top speed run. I remember watching the. Uh, you know the the fastest run back in 2007, mm-hmm. and uh, this thing is quick zero to sixty, and that's what gave it the edge. By the way, mm-hmm. two point seven seconds zero to sixty. So it's like, jeez, uh, that's like motorcycle fast. No really. traction control, no anti lock brakes. I know this is just a bare bones, like flat out race car. Almost. It's a bullet on wheels. It, it really is. I mean, and this was, of course, you got to remember in 2007, it it still was battling against cars like Bugatti Veyron, right, um, and losing for a while. Well, it this well this one. Had this the record for a while. Yeah. I, I wonder, Ben, I was also thinking about this. You ever heard of sandbagging? Yes. You know what sandbagging is, right? So I was wondering if Bugatti was maybe sandbagging just a little bit around that time. Because they had this incredible car, 1,001 horsepower right. in the Veyron. Yeah. And then here comes the ultimate arrow, and they topped the record just by a little bit. And then very shortly after that, the Bugatti Veyron bested this one again. And, you know, it just kind of progresses that way in this leapfrog-type scenario. I wouldn't be surprised. You don't want to show your whole hand. That's what I think is going on. I think they're just. I think there's always a little bit of sandbagging going on by the manufacturers in these top speed tests. So, you know, when we get to the number one, I mean, I wonder if they're holding back or if that's it. You know, <laughs> that's there, a good there always could be a little bit more. Well, All right. To do that, we'll have to first meet number three. Uh, don't call it a comeback. It is our friends there at Koenigsegg again. This mm-hmm. time with the. Agera R? That's exactly right, Ben. I looked up the pronunciation, and that is exactly right. So good job. Um, another one from the Swedes here. Um, yep. You remember the, the uh, Koenigsegg CCR was number six. This is number three with the Agera R. And this one has, I, I say only, but, geez, Ben, only 1,140 horsepower, but it's so lightweight. I mean, you can look at this photo. You can see that the entire body yeah. is carbon fiber. Yeah, you can see the carbon fiber, and this one also has a little bit of a debate about its speed uh, because it's clocked at 260 miles per hour, or 418 kilometers approximately. Uh, and according to Koenigsegg, it has a theoretical top speed of 273. It's just no one's been ever able, able to get it up there yet. Ah, and see, now that may be a, uh, a situation where they just haven't had enough space. Yeah, and the space is really matters as we're going to talk about in the number two entry here. I want to get to that point, and as we talk about it, but um, again, this is a super fast car. I mean, I've watched I've watched some videos about this, and I want to I want to point one video out. We haven't we haven't really we haven't directed videos yet, not yet. But I want to direct some people to our listeners to um, a particular video that's called it's a YouTube video. It's called Koenigsegg Agera R owns Bugatti Veyron. Now that's a funny name, I know, and it's mm-hmm. just a little kind of. Uh, a bit of footage that's thrown together from some testing that they were doing. And, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the Koenigsegg reps were, were 
talking with uh, some journalists that were there to review the vehicle and shoot the car and, you know, see what it could do. And uh, there's some incredible shots of this thing on the track and what it can do, because I had no idea, Ben. Now, this is one that um, it, it also holds the record that we should mention here, and this is important, that it can accelerate from zero to 186.4 miles per hour and then back to zero in just 21.19 seconds. So let's underline that again. We're not saying that it can just accelerate to that speed. We're saying it can accelerate to that speed and then back to a full stop. Exactly right. Stop, full speed, well, not full speed, but 186.4, and then full stop again in 21.19 seconds. That's incredible speed. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, I mean, they show you that, you know, while it's going 186 miles per hour, you can take your hands off the steering wheel and break down to zero hard without ever, ever having to touch the wheel. It's that firm. It's that solid on the track. Wow. And then to further that point, you know, about the handling of this car, because this is where this thing is a standout. They show you, now this is incredible, Ben. You have to see this to believe it. And that's why I pointed you to that video that, uh, yeah. you know, Kona owns Bugatti Veyron. At 100 miles per hour, the driver of the car, you know, he has the, the uh, journalist next to him. The, the driver just starts whipping the wheel back and forth, left and right, and the car just stays flat and firm on the track. No skidding, no no sliding out, no anything. It's just absolutely firm on the track, and it's incredible. I mean, it's it's really wild to see it from outside the vehicle. Inside, it looks terrifying. Yeah. Outside, you wouldn't believe what's happening. I mean, it just it doesn't look like it's possible. It shouldn't stick at that speed. Oh man, amazing, amazing for, car. Uh... The low, low price of uh, $32,000. No, I'm kidding. 32, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. that be? Slightly more than the uh, than the average. We would, oh, we would finally open up that dealership we've been talking about. <laughs> That's right. All right. So here, on, we're up to number two on our list. Yeah. I don't think this will surprise anybody. Maybe maybe that it's at number two, though. Yeah, that's what's going to be the surprise, because the Bugatti Veyron Super Sport comes in at 260 miles per hour. That translates to a little bit over uh, 430 kilometers per hour. Now, yeah, 268. That's that's yeah. a crazy speed. That's super high. Now, Bugatti fans, Bugatti enthusiasts, I know that you guys uh, might already be moaning about this number two. Like, oh, that's that's, that's bull BS. Crap. Yeah. yeah. Okay, got it. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. 
People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to a really good cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but there is a reason, of course, because, you know, Bugatti has seemed to always be in this number one, number two spot, sure. right? Which goes back to your earlier I don't want to call it conspiracy theory, Scott, but your question about oh, yeah. sandbagging. Yeah, that's right. And uh, also, it has to deal with the with the track. Now, the track yep. apparently really does matter in this situation, like where it's tested. Now, you know, we're talking about speeds above Formula One car speeds. We're talking about speeds that you don't see on racetracks, even unless you're talking about maybe a drag strip where you know it's a, a top fuel dragster or something. But uh, we're talking about you know street legal vehicles again. And the track, as I mentioned, you wouldn't think it'd have a whole lot to do with it, but you know that that test track where, if you watch that old Top Gear episode where they took the the Bugatti Veyron, yeah, not yeah. not the Super Sport, but the Veyron, right. I think it was up to 257 miles per hour, right? Mm-hmm. Now that track is like one of those super long, flat, I mean, just endless stretch of of pavement type tracks. It's right. it's owned by Volkswagen. It's called what is it called? The the uh, Aralesian. Yeah, Aralesian. It's the track. It's an oval test track. It's owned by Bugatti, you know, by their parent company, I should say, Volkswagen. And the thing is about that track that it gives you the opportunity to get up to something like 150 miles per hour before you even enter the straight. Then you've got that long, long straight. And then the, the key to this whole thing, Ben, maybe the biggest key to this is what? Is that you don't have to worry about stopping when the pavement runs out because other test tracks that are just a straight drag require, um, some very precise math to say, okay, I'm going to start here. I'm going to pick up this. I know at this point in the track, I'll hit this speed and then I'm going to try my best to top it, you know, speed X here at 270, 280, whatever. Yeah. And then instantly after that, I have to begin decelerating because I have X number of seconds at that speed before I hit the end of the runway. Yeah, before, you know, I hit the forest at the, the end of the runway right, or, yeah. you know, whatever. And we're the talking about, crowd. <laughs> and we're talking about miles here. So, you know, yeah. it, and it comes down to a matter of, you know, within a certain number of yards, if you start breaking or you don't start breaking, yep. uh, that could be disastrous. So, you know, when, with the idea that, you know, there's a, a lead into the, to the straight and a lead out of the straight, you're a little bit more flexible on how fast you can go. And, uh, and how far you can push it. And, right. because maybe they only have to slow down to 150 as well at the end. Yeah. And also Bugatti had already, uh, 
had a little bit of bad blood with Guinness over some testing mm-hmm. because, well, I don't want to call it bad blood, but they were disqualified. That's yeah. long and short of it. Yeah, that's because of the altered speed limiter, right? They took out right. the, they took out the speed limiter in the car that was tested and, uh, they determined later, well, they found that out later and they decided that, well, maybe the, the limit, uh, you know, the 268 wasn't really possible in the car that they would sell on the showroom floor. Yeah, and that counts as a modification. Because I think the 257 that we mentioned was the limit of the of the production vehicle that they sold to the public. Right. Now, 268, yeah, that's exactly right. Without the limiter in place, 268 was possible, again, on that track. And uh, and I don't know, there's just all these little little bits of uh, of rules that kind of get in the way of this of this um, record being broken. Right. And let's go ahead and be clear about this. Uh, Guinness temporarily disqualified them because later they changed their mind and they gave the Super Sport its world's fastest designation because they said that the speed limiter did not inherently change the mechanical abilities of the vehicle. Exactly right. And you know what, Ben? I'm going to say this. I mean, 268 miles per hour, this car deserves to be at the top of the list or, or near the top of the list. It does. It I does. mean, it really does. It, it earned it. I, I mean... Speed limited or not, you know, I mean, that's something that a point of contention, I guess, between Guinness and, and Bugatti. But, um, man, that's fast. Before we get to number one, Scott, I'd like to ask our super producer, Noel, for a favor. Uh, hey, Noel, can we get some badass car chase music? All right. Coming in at number one is the Hennessy Venom GT, Ben. 270 miles per hour. That's the fastest car right now. The yeah. world's fastest, 270 miles per hour. That's 434 and a half kilometers per hour coming from Texas. That is lightning fast. Can you imagine seeing a car pass you at 270 miles per hour, what that must be like? I can imagine the sensation of the wind, but I'm not sure how good of a look you would get at it. <laughs> yeah, imagine sticking your hand out the window at that speed. I mean, it's like the Bigfoot of cars. It, would be, it's just, it stays blurry. It would be ripped off at that point. So, okay, so this is from a what they call a boutique automaker from Texas, Ben. I've never heard yeah. them call it a boutique automaker, but um, this is from Hennessy, right? And yeah. uh, and of course in Sealy, Texas, that's where their headquarters are, and uh, they make this car that they call the uh, the Venom GT, which is. Basically, it's a hand-built vehicle that is on a stretched Lotus Siege body, and it's about, what's it got? It's got a 7-liter Corvette ZR1 engine that's also boosted by two turbochargers. So, holy cow. You know, I mean, you know how fast a a, um, a ZR1 is. Right, yeah. And you know how fast, um, um, I mean, a 7-liter engine that's normally aspirated would be. I mean, you can can picture that, right? And now extrapolate that. Now, Now it's... Boosted by twin turbochargers. I mean, mm. holy cow, this thing's got to be quick. So, and well, quick and fast. Um, now, they did this record-breaking run recently. This happened in February of 2014. Right, yeah. On uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, on Valentine's Day and uh, at the uh, at a NASA shuttle landing strip. Yeah, that's where they had to go because, again, you know, you were talking about a, a space where you need miles of pavement to be able to do this long, flat, pavement and to be able to you know have something that's wide open where no one is going to be you know there's not going to be no cross traffic no people no uh you know fire hydrants to smash into things like that so you know you need a place like this but i mean it's it's impressive that they have to hire nasa to uh to lease them some real estate to be able to do something like this yes also there's a bit of contention between our guys at hennessy and our guys at guinness because going back to the 30 car rule hennessy is and I think this is kind of a 
you know, a bite your thumb at them thing. Maybe they're okay. So you have to build 30 cars, right? Uh, to qualify in the Guinness world fastest car category. How many are they building, Scott? 29. That is so on purpose. I think so. You know, but then I thought, okay, if this, maybe the 30 cars, and I got to look into this, maybe 30 cars would push him from being a, what a, what we called a boutique automaker into an actual production car builder oh. and it could be it could be a tax issue yeah okay it, it could be uncle sam it could be and Ooh. i don't know i don't know that for sure but i'm guessing that there i mean there's a there's a reason he's stopping at 29 you know what buddy i'm gonna look into that because that's a very good point i mean don't you don't you think so i mean and also you know the other thing you know aside from the numbers of vehicles that he's building he was only able to do a one-way run and that was because nasa said we can only allow you to go one way on this uh, on this track and i don't know why they did that um, because we're talking about the uh, the space shuttle landing strip is what they're using. Yeah, and I don't know why they would allow it one way and not the other. I don't it's know. A, if it's... it's a one way strip. Uh, in case the shuttles try to go back, they got those tire, <laughs> those tire slashing things. Yeah, that's right. Severe tire damage. Yeah, if you, like... if you back up, well, he's not going in reverse. <laughs> but still, it would be a little jarring to hit something like that. Um, right? Yeah, uh, it, it is strange that they only w- allowed one run. I don't know what the story there's, behind that was. There's got to be a reason behind. It. Maybe there's a. Maybe it's the way that the maybe the pavement has a pattern to it, or maybe there's something that's uh, you know about going yeah. against the grain of the pavement, the the concrete or whatever. Yeah. But they, um, let's see, because the typical run is you go from one end to the other, and then you go the opposite, right? And then they take the average of the two. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe there's something with the grain of it, but there's I, definitely a reason behind it. I don't know. I mean, I think that the reason that they do that is for wind conditions, so you don't have a tailwind that's helping mm-hmm. you along, and, you know, there, there are other factors as well, but I think that the wind is the biggest issue there mm-hmm. to prove that you can do it twice in a row. You know, without, uh, you know, either facing the headwind or, you know, maybe there's a crosswind. I don't know. But um, there's a reason they have you do two runs, but this one only got to do one. So, and it's kind of one of those, like, is it really the fastest? Is it not? Um, I don't know. But you know, Between the Hennessy Venom GT and the Bugatti Veyron Supersport, and, you know, I'm going to go ahead and throw the um, the Agera R in there, too. Yeah. Those cars are so fast, man. I mean, so all close. of those. I mean, 260 to 270 separates the top three here on our list. And that variance is close enough that if the three were racing, it would depend on who was driving. You probably would, and it might even depend on the distance. You know, like, uh, yeah. know, I don't know how quickly each of these gets up to that speed. Yeah. So uh, I think each of them would have their own strength, and it would be, you know, the race could be determined by whose strength the the, uh, the limits of the race play into. These cars are so fast that there are some races they just couldn't participate in for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, like Nürburgring, some oh, of sure. those turns, no way. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they couldn't go top speed at that type of thing. But, you know, obviously they'd be uh, be very powerful on the track. I mean, as far as, sure. uh, you know, keeping their own, I guess, is, you know, well, we see the uh, the one lap of Nürburgring. And I, yeah. I don't know if the, uh, I, I can't say for sure if I know the Venom GT has tried the Nürburgring yet, but mm-hmm. it seems like the kind of thing that it would do. I mean, every every car ultimately goes to the Nurburgring if it wants to prove its international reputation. So, isn't that funny how that's happened recently? Yeah, all roads lead to Nurburgring. What's up with that? I don't know, but that's within you know the last uh, six or seven years, really. Yeah, it kind of is a new development. Um, anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about um, probably doesn't live in Europe. Because I think every car fan in Europe at least knows about the Nürburgring. Or has driven on it because it's open to the public. Yep, that's the best part. So uh, you can find out about that in our episode on 
this famous Proving Ground racetrack. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed our episode on the current top 10 fastest cars. Yeah. All the way up to 270. That's amazing. I wonder, uh, wonder who's going to, you know, bust the 270 mark if, 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 uh, you know, the Veyron Super Sport's going to do it with just a couple of miles. miles right. Yeah. If they're and, sandbagging. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. And, uh, Another thing is, I would be surprised if this list doesn't change by this time next year, because this list always changes. It likely will. It probably will be done, you know, even by this summer, Ben. Yeah, it's a lot of the same people trading places in line, though. At this point, it is. Yeah, it's like musical chairs. But who knows? Maybe there will be a dark horse riding on to the front. That would be cool, a newcomer. Yeah. Before we go, Scott, uh, you want to do a little listener mail? Sure. Okay, Scott, this comes to us from Facebook, and I think we've both checked this one out before. Uh, Kristen writes to us and says, Hi, guys, I love the show. I'm a student in a large city with decent public transportation, so I don't currently have a car, but I'm enjoying my way, working my way through the back catalog of car stuff to learn more about cars and tech history. Like you, I enjoy true crime and urban legends, but I did have a comment on your recent episode on the Dale car. While Liz Carmichael was clearly a serial fraudster, a megalomaniac, and a possible accomplice to the murder of her employee, I was a little uncomfortable with the way the surprise twist of her being transgendered was handled in the show. So uh, she goes on to say, at that point in trans history, transgender women were often expected, both by doctors and society at large, to distance themselves from their previous life and family. Don't get me wrong, Carmichael was clearly a con artist of the worst sort who took advantage of her transition to run from the law, but even perfectly innocent women with no criminal intent were often the subject of intense scrutiny and forced to make ridiculous-sounding statements about their lives and career before transitioning. Um, and then she recommends the book How Sex Changed, The History of Transsexuality in the United States uh, by Joan Mayerowitz for anyone who's interested in reading more about this medical discourse. And Kristen, I wanted to address your letter on air here, just just on that point, really quickly. Um, I see, I see what you're saying here with us. One of the questions that I had with the Dale Carr and Liz Carmichael is whether Liz Carmichael was actually transitioning, um, because given Liz Carmichael's past, right before she became Liz Carmichael, uh, it was all filled with con artistry disguises embezzlement lying i feel like it may have just been another disguise now see ben that's exactly the way i feel and that's the way that we intended that to come out in the podcast and mm-hmm. i think that that's the, the true the true way this was this was going down right i think that i think that the only reason that liz carmichael was portraying herself as female at that point was strictly to get away with that counterfeiting charge that she had from you know decades prior and yeah. I, I really, really believe that. I don't think that, you know, I mean, I know she was taking hormones or whatever, but that aided in the disguise. Yeah, I think what we're looking at here is is a specific case of a single criminal. And uh, we're not in any way casting dispersion on the trans community. No, no. I saw this strictly as a, a desperate measure to get away from the authorities. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is and this is what it took. And this person decided to go this specific way with this and said, I'm going to live the rest of my life as a female, and they'll never, ever find me. And I'm going to take hormones to help mm-hmm. me along this way. And 
you know, we, we, you know, we guessed that maybe the money that they raised was going to go towards a, a surgery or whatever, but I don't think that Liz Carmichael or, um, I forget the guy's name, that the guy that, or the, the original, yeah, yeah, the male name that, yeah. uh, that Liz was born with or the male yeah. identity that Liz was born with. I think that was just something that came about afterwards, after the, after the counterfeiting scheme, sure. you know, fell apart on him and then he decided to become a she in order to cover up his trail. Yeah, yeah, I think what, this is something that you and I talked about as we were, as we were working on the show because I think we didn't, um, we didn't and we don't want, uh, Liz Carmichael or the actions of Liz Carmichael to be seen as representative in any way of, <laughs> uh, let's see, let's, who, let's, who should we start with? Uh, car executives, sure, mm-hmm. uh, salesmen, uh, saleswomen, transgender people. Uh, this was a bizarre story all around. And a bad apple yeah, definitely. at the center. Um, but, Kristen, uh, we really appreciate what you're saying. And as always, being part of How Stuff Works, um, not just car stuff, but any of our shows, we, we always encourage people to learn more. So we wanted to put your book recommendation on air for anybody who had more questions about that. And, of course, uh, for the Dale Carr episode... Um, I still, I still think it's such a fantastic true crime story, and I think people really enjoy it. Ties into the Preston Tucker episode. Scott, all our stories are starting to, all the really interesting ones are starting to have these connections. Yeah, you notice there's, that? There's a web. There's a web for sure. Uh, Kristen ends with one suggestion. She says, on a completely different note, uh, I used to be an intern at the Historical Museum in Racine, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, and came across a mention of Reverend Dr. J.W. Carhart, who apparently invented some sort of steam-powered, self-propelled vehicle during the 1870s. Have you done an episode about various attempts to create self-propelled vehicles prior to the invention of the modern automobile. Uh-huh. Well, how timely was that, Ben? Because Very we, interesting. we have just recorded one that was, uh, what was it called? The Puffing Devil? The Puffing Devil, yeah. yes. So look for the Puffing Devil episode and you'll get your answer. Yeah, for uh, for that case. Now, with this reverend you mentioned, I think we're going to have to check into a couple other sources and yeah, see what happens. The Reverend Carhartt. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, talk about a uh, predictive name. Um, all right, so we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Scott, uh, you and I are due to head off to work on some more self-propelled vehicles, maybe. Uh, a couple of other things. Continue our earlier mutual rants about cruise control, which you can, I think people will hear in an upcoming episode. In the meantime, uh, do check out our website, carstuffshow.com, as well as follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can always send us an email directly. Our address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? 
electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.